have a Bible, you might like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just bow our heads. Father, again, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> we believe in the authority, infallibility of the very word of God. And we bless you for it. Bless it to our hearts now by the Spirit who inspired it. Grant us understanding and application for Jesus' sake. Amen. This morning, uh, I was preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 8. I've been going through 1 Samuel in the morning when I've been taking services. And I said that uh, it seemed strange to go to Samuel on Christmas Eve. And what possible connection can there be with 1 Samuel 8 and the Christmas story? But I suggested it wasn't actually that far, because 1 Samuel chapter 8 is about the search for a king. So once I've said that, you think, ah, oh, yes. And you're thinking of Matthew and the king and the search for the king and so on, and the Lord Jesus Christ as king. So there was a little connection there. I trust it wasn't too tenuous. Um, and we thought about uh, the Savior as the king. Now, we've been going through 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as I said this morning, providentially, when we come to 1 Samuel 8, I think providentially we've come to the end of the chapter and verse 21. And verse 21, we've looked at a few things there. And there's one more thing I want to look at before we finish. And you say, well, all right, but what's that got to do with Christmas Eve and Christmas? Well, it's very simple, right? It's, I'm not too complicated, I trust, a simple soul. But Paul talks about the righteousness of God. For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God. And what is the righteousness of God? Well, various things, but ultimately it's a gift. It's a gift from God. God gives various gifts to his people in salvation, and righteousness is a particular gift. And then, of course, you can see now where I'm going. Christmas time, presents, gifts. So I hope it's not a quantum leap, all right? And I intend to be fairly simple uh, this, this evening. Uh, I think uh, I thought there might be some visitors amongst us who are not too used to some of the the jargon we use and the words and so on. So I thought, well, let's make it very simply so that no one can say, well, I didn't understand. Having said that, I do realize that a preacher can make the gospel as simple as simple can be, and yet the sinner can say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Ultimately, the understanding and application of the gospel is a sovereign work of God by his irresistible grace. So I know that. I know my little theology a bit anyway. I know that much. But that's God's responsibility. My responsibility is to make things as plain as plain as can be. And if someone says to me, well, that was, wasn't very deep tonight, well, praise the Lord for that. It might be that that's what somebody needed. So I want to think of a gift, and I want to think particularly of a gift of clothing. Now, I don't know if you have had a gift of clothing or you've given a gift of clothing uh, to some loved one or some friend. Um, I'm not talking about socks or ties, all right, although I've had them in the past, um, and as I'm sure some of you men do, uh, and other various little bits and pieces. I'm really thinking of a, of a suit or a garment, and particularly a robe. Now, I don't expect many will get a robe. They get a, um, uh, some kind of robe or dressing gown kind of thing, but that's what I want to think about and be connected with righteousness. 
because the Bible talks about a robe of righteousness. And you may be very familiar with this. The hymnists uh, use it. We will sing our final hymn, and it will be there. And so it, it's a nice analogy. Be careful with analogies. Be careful with illustrations. Don't press them too far. Even biblical analogy, even biblical illustrations, don't press them too far. But it is a lovely illustration, and I think we can work with it. So that's where we're going to go and look at a few things about robes uh, spiritually and physically. The righteousness of God, what can we say about that? It's an attribute of God. If you prefer, it's the rightness of God. God is right in everything he is and does. He cannot do that which is wrong. God is right absolutely. All right? He is, in, he is holy. He is righteous. He has integrity. And he does not change. He is immutable. It's part of the character of God. He's a righteous God. And the theme of righteousness runs all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we have to start with unrighteousness. I don't want to be negative, but we have to start being negative because uh, if I talk about a robe of righteousness or our need of righteousness, you might say, well, why do I need this gift from God? Why do I need this robe of righteousness? What's the matter with my own inerrant, inherent righteousness? I'm a fairly righteous person, I think. I, I, seek, I, like, I seek to live a moral life. I seek to do that which is right. I'm kind and so on. So um, are you saying that this rightness or righteousness of myself is not good enough for God? Yes, I am. Are you saying that this garment I've got is not worthy of God? Yes, I am. But I'm not saying it because that's what I think. I'm saying it because the Bible says it. And the big problem is there are people who, who refuse the robe of righteousness which God offers as a gift in Christ and because of Christ because they think, well, I just don't need it. I'm a nice person. Now, I don't want to debate with you how nice you are. Most of you look fairly nice. Some are a bit strange. But I mean, most of you look fairly nice. And that's Okay. But we've got to think, what does God think about us? What does God say about us? And this is what God says. It's a famous verse, you know it. And it's, it's using clothing as, word, as it were. God says this, Your unrighteousnesses, says God, are as filthy rags in my sight. God doesn't mince his words, does he? Give it to us straight, Lord. Well, this, I'm going to give you it straight. This is what I think of that rightness you think you have, and it's so wonderful in your own eyes. Let me tell you what I think. It's like filthy rags. And in a polite society, a congregation, I'm not going to tell you what the Hebrew is because it's horrendous. Those of you who want to look things up can look it up and say, oh, dear me, I'm glad Colin didn't say that from the pulpit. All right? Because it's horrendous. Filthy rags is, oh, we have a word in Welsh, achavi, all right, which means, oh, yuck, oh, and that kind of, that's the word in Hebrew. Well, it's not achavi, but it's filthy. So God looks at you and looks at me and he says, you know, those posh clothes you think you've got, that righteousness you think you've got, in my eyes, it's absolutely filthy. 
Because God is of pure eyes to behold evil. He cannot look on iniquity. God is so pure and so holy, we know very little about that. So there's a need for a righteousness which is acceptable to God. So, next question is, from whence can we get this robe? If God says your righteousness is as filthy rags, you cannot come into my presence wherein that what am I going to do to get that which is acceptable? Where do I go? To whom do I go? Am I to say, well, if that's true, then I must improve it. That row, that filthy rag that I'm wearing, those rags I'm wearing, I need to improve my image. And I need to get somehow new stuff, better stuff, improved stuff. Well, sadly... That won't work, because anything that we bring to God of ourselves, an improved image, an improved lifestyle, turn over a new leaf, it still will not satisfy, because God's standard is so high. God demands perfection. God says there are too many stains in that coat you're wearing, in that suit you're wearing. My dear late wife, lover, she could spot a spot at three miles. If I, as oft I did, spilt my food, just a small mouth, you see, I can't get it in. And sometimes I tipped it. She would see it. She'd say, I can see that on that shirt. You spilt something. And your typical book. You're making it worse. You know the story. That's the problem with us. We can never be stainless of ourselves. We can never be perfect of ourselves. We can never build up add to us. There'll always be something wrong because that's the way we are. We can never be left to ourselves. Now, Paul, he was, he was a great guy. Uh, before he was converted, he was very religious. You know the story. Uh, he, he talks about it, for example, in, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, this is his kind of, um, his background, his CV. He said, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I was circumcised the eighth day <coughs> of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Here is a man who can say, as far as I know, I keep the law. As far as I know, I do my best. As far as I know, God thinks I'm wonderful. And that's what he thought, and that's what he believed. But when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ, he realized all this stuff. And he uses the word. It's just like refuse. It's dung. I like that word. Right? In other versions, you'd have various similar meanings, but I like that. It, he's just down to earth. That's what your righteousness is. It's like dung. What did the preacher say to you on, yesterday? Do you know what he said? He used dung from the pulpit. Terrible man. Fancy talking about dung from the pulpit. It's quoted in the Bible. In his realization of what God expected, God wanted, God accepted, that righteousness that he worked hard to get was dung, refuse. So, 
If we can't get it, if we can't earn it, if we can't pile more good things upon it, how do we get it? From whence comes this robe of righteousness? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible says God provides a righteousness which is acceptable to him. God provides a robe whereby one which we can put on and wear and be accepted in his presence. He'll welcome us. He sees us coming. He say, welcome, welcome to my presence, welcome to my heaven. God provides this garment of righteousness. And of course, as most of you will know, it's a righteousness which belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We love to talk about the perfections of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is so pure. He is so perfect. There is no spot or blemish. In the Old Testament, when the sacrifices were about to be offered, they had to be examined, and there was no spot or blemish. God said, I want the best. You're offering a sacrifice for your sin yeah, that will be acceptable to me. It's got to be the best lamb, the best bullock, the best goat. I don't want any scuffy old thing. I come from a land where there are lots of scruffy sheep. I don't think any of them would be acceptable to God. No scruffy sheep, the best. And then the New Testament writers take that, take that imagery and they apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is like a lamb without spot, without blemish. He could say uh, humbly and yet confidently, which of you convinces me of sin? Which of you can say, I heard you say something you shouldn't have said. I saw you do something you shouldn't have done. I know you, I know about you. No one could ever say that. Even Pilate at the, at the, at the examination, he says, you know, I find no fault in him. I've examined him, cross-examined him. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. The Lord Jesus Christ is so pure. And so holy. Blessed be his name. So he has a righteousness which is 100% perfect. And it's a wonderful way in the Bible whereby God is able and willing to take the righteousness that belongs to his son and to confer it and put it on those who believe in his son and trust him as saviour. My friend, our friend, Philip Eveson, he's got a book um, on justification by faith and it's called The Great Exchange. And it's a great book about justification by faith. But the, the title, The Exchange, is a great title. When you think about this, that God sees me with my rags of righteousness, unrighteousness, and God said, That's, that'll never get you to glory, never get you into my presence. So he gets shot of all that, and he takes it from me. But he doesn't leave me naked in his presence. He says, listen, I give you my son's righteousness as a robe on you. That will cover up all your sin, all iniquity. You will have his robe of righteousness. Now, very simply, that's what the gospel is. But a bit more to it than that, isn't it? I sometimes use this little suit that I'm wearing as an illustration. Some of you have heard this before, previously. I didn't buy this suit, and I didn't pinch it. It was given to me as a gift. 
and the gift given to me by a widow, the minister friend of mine, uh, Jeff, his name was, and he died. And some months later, I was visiting the widow, and she said, Colin, would you like some of Jeff's clothes? I'm proud. I said, well, yes, please, because Jeff always bought the best. I don't normally. And uh, I said, yes, and it fits me. Wonderfully fits me. The sad thing was, whenever I think about that, the you know, trouble is, Jeff had to die so I could have the suit. A little bit of sadness there. And that's exactly what happened. In order for God to give me this robe of righteousness, properly, technically, legally, a price had to be paid. And it was a great price. I'm thinking of, of men now particularly, but ladies, you know, I'm not excluding you, but for illustrative purposes, if you wanted the best, so I'm told, of suits, you'd go to Savile Row. I'm not sure if it's still there, and they've still got tailors, but many of them were Jewish, and the very best materials and workmen, all that kind of thing, Savile Row. Um, only once I've ever been measured by a suit. It must be my wedding, I think, or something. Mostly it's off the peg for Marks and Sparks. Other stores are available. All right. And I remember going to church one day, and a woman said to me, did you buy that off the peg? I said, yes. She said, but how do you know? Well, it doesn't quite fit on the, on the, on the, on the hand. If you had it made to measure, it'd be exactly, I just think this way. Because she was a seamstress. She, she knew her suits. And when you have made a measure, it's very nice to have a measure and all that. Now, but it's expensive. Oh, expensive. To provide you and me with the righteousness of Christ, the Lord Jesus had to pay the ultimate price. Now, you might say, well, all right, I'm, I'm with you so far, but why does he have to pay such a price to get us to have his rights? Why doesn't God just say, well, here is my son's rights, I'll transfer it. Transfer it from there to you, and that job is done. Why does he have to die, and why does his death have to be so horrendous? Well, I think it's a simple answer. Because the law required it. The Lord of God says, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. The soul that sinneth must die. The holiness of God, the Lord of God, demands punishment for sin. Now we're talking about righteousness. If God said, listen, I love you, I know you've been a bad boy, I know you've been a bad girl, but I love you so much, I'll put that aside, I'll forget about that, and I'll have you into my kingdom, and I'll give you my son's robe. That would be unrighteous of God. That would be unlawful. The law would say, you cannot do that. The law would say to God, Almighty, you cannot do that. You cannot bypass the law. And the, the, the Lord might say, well, why can't I? I'm God. Yes, because you're God and it's your law. You can't bypass your own law. You've got to have a law fulfilled. So God says, well, my son will fulfill the law. And he will take the full penalty and punishment and wrath that 
thy people deserve, and he will bear it all in himself. Hallelujah. That's great. You see now, there's a righteousness to this. This salvation is a righteous salvation. It's a just salvation. And thereby God is able uh, to transfer the righteousness son to my account, as it were, to me. Now some little thoughts. Um, just, uh, we won't be too long tonight. I want us to think about this garment. What's the quality? There was a phrase, I think it was some old comedy back in the day, never mind, uh, never mind the wit, feel the quality, was it, or something like that. Someone might remember it. All right. Never mind. The, anyway, whatever it was, uh, two tailors, Jewish and one Catholic. And the quality, you can tell a good suit by the quality. You think, oh, that's quality. Well, what's the quality of the robe of righteousness that God gives us in and through Christ? Magnificent. This wasn't put together in a moment. This was a plan determined and decreed by the Father and the Son and the Spirit before the worlds began, before God actually created anything. He has this plan in mind. He has this righteousness in mind, and it's of superb, superb quality of everlasting quality. There's something magnificent about the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. Will it last? Will it last? Now, some materials, they wear out very quickly. Other materials are very hard wearing. I remember in a tailor's years ago and I was looking for a new jacket and we were discussing kind of types of jacket and he said this man said presumably because he was selling them the best tweed you can get is Harris tweed now I'm sure brother Bush would tell us about Harris tweed right wonderful stuff right comes from comes from tweedy sheep or something I guess up in the Harris or the magnificent stuff he said to me it'll never wear out if you want to get rid of it you've got to shoot it now, that's what he said it's magnificent, all to do with, with, with where it's from and the back and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just it's wonderful. It'll never wear out. This is the great thing about the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll never wear out. It's as good today as it was when the Lord procured it by his death and resurrection. And it'll never fade. It'll never wear out. It'll last forever. The quality of this. Is wonderful. And then a little thought at the craftsmanship. Now I'm not a crafty person, so to speak, right? But I know a lady who was, my dear lady wife. She was very good. Her mother was the same, a seamstress. And my wife made her wedding dress and the bridesmaid's dress. Amazing stuff. There were bits of all the flow and the patterns and things. Some of you know and know it is magnificent. One of our daughters has inherited that in crochet and in knitting and so on. And, and it's always amazing. I cannot understand how women can do this. 
while they're talking at the same time and watching television and doing the dishes and putting the kettle on. They can do all this wonderful multitasking and the craftsman, the work. You know, it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. I mentioned before things like the repair shop and, and the stores and that kind of thing. And, and, and the detail it's there. And you think, this person knows what they're doing. They're good at it. Very good at it. I think sometimes we, we don't appreciate the great intricacies of, of, of the gospel and of this, uh, of this robe of righteousness. All the workmanship has gone into it. I don't think that the angels were part of the process. And why I say that? Because in Peter, it talks about the angels desiring to look into this. It's as if the angels are around the parapets of heaven, as it were, and they say, what's the Lord doing now? What's he up to now? Wow, look at that. Look at that sinner down in Hailsham. Worst sinner in Hailsham. And the Lord has saved him. It's amazing. Saving sinners in Hailsham. Worst place on earth, according to some. And the angels look into this. And the, and the way God does things, and the little details. I mean, we all have our own stories of the providence of God, and we miss a bus, and we say, oh, blow, I missed the bus, I'll be late. And then God sometimes, somehow overrules, and we meet somebody on the bus we wouldn't have met if we'd caught the right bus. That's God's providence. That's God working the details out. Wonderful little details that God works out. I remember hearing a wonderful testimony of a man who was from it was Asia. I don't think it was Sri Lanka, but it was, it was over there somewhere. And he, uh, he was at a minister's conference. He was now, at the time, speaking, a minister. And he was saying that when he was, um, I think he was a Hindu, uh, and he was part of the caste system, and he was the highest caste. And you know, in that system, uh, the lower caste can die and then be reincarnated and come up, perhaps go up the ladder, and eventually the high caste. And so this little lad said, this man said, little lad, Daddy, what's happened to us? Because we've got to the top now. What's going to happen to us? Oh, well, never mind about that. You know, we just enjoy. And, uh, and they had, they, the cow was sacred. The cow was sacred, you know that? And they had this cow had a calf. That, that this cow was pregnant. And then the cow died and the calf was, was born. And then at the same time, Uncle Fred died. And they wondered if... Calf now was Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred was the calf, you see. And oh, it's nonsense. He was part of that. Uh, he made a smile because he, the cow came into the house and uh, sat where, you know, sat, stood where Uncle Fred used to stand. I wonder if, that, I wonder if that's Uncle Fred there, standing in the corner, looking like a cow. And uh, he said, We don't, we know they're sacred, but we don't like them in the house. And he was into all that. And he said, This doesn't satisfy. What can I do? And then he, he, he tried this, that, and the other. And then he found a tract in a gutter. Not somebody giving out a tract that somebody had given him. It was on the floor. And it said something about blood. He saw transfusion. That's what I'll do. I'll give a blood transfusion, and then I'll be better, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be accepted and so on. But it was about the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, what's all this about? He started reading this tract. And then the long story, he finally was converted and brought to the ministry. That's an, and that's why I met him. How amazing is that? You think somebody went out one day, giving tracks out, somebody says, we'd like a track, okay, took it, chucked it away, threw it in the gutter. This man comes along, 
Jesus in the gutter, picks it up, reads it, and the Lord saves him. That's the work of a sovereign God. That's the work of a sovereign God. The workmanship of the salvation. What does um, Philippians 1, 6, he who has begun a good, <coughs> he has begun a good work in you, will continue it until the day of Jesus. He's begun a good work in you. When God does a work, it's a good work. It's a great work. It's a grand work. It's a glorious work. And it's a gracious work. Now, all right, so God's got this robe of righteousness in his son. Will it fit you? Will it fit you? It's a real problem particularly if somebody buys something for you and it doesn't fit. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Um, you know, what do you do? What do you say, did you keep the receipt? You say, right, if I take it back, I change it. It's a bit embarrassing if it doesn't fit. Well, the great thing about this robe of righteousness, whoever you are, whatever you are, it will fit you. It will fit you. Perfectly. It's as if you've been made to measure. Well, in a sense, God has made to measure you, all right? Because he knows who you are and what you are. You're an individual with all your little phobos, with all your little hopes, your little fears. God knows exactly who you are and what you are. And this salvation, this God, this robe of righteousness will exactly meet your need. Some people will say, well, I don't need this Jesus. I don't need your salvation. I'm okay because this, that, and the other. And we say, well, I don't know. Are you? Are you really okay? You need the Savior. We used to teach the children when we did the children's clubs. J-E-S-U-S, Jesus exactly suits us sinners. And he does. Someone like Saul of Tarsus, the religion religious, bigoted, bigoted uh, self-righteous person. It fits him, breaks him, humbles him. Woman of Samaria, four husbands, five husbands, whatever it was. Woman of, would appear, low morals. This robe of righteousness fits her. And anything in between, this robe of righteousness fits you exactly and precisely because God knows your measurement for better for worse. I love this thought of the robe of righteousness. And God offers it to us in his son. But be aware of this, that those who refuse, God will deal with righteously justly, and in absolute judgment. A little story told by the Lord of the parable about a wedding and a wedding guest who came and didn't have a wedding garment. I've not checked this through completely, but it seems to me that this wedding garment would have been provided for the guests, a robe to bring to the banquet. And this man had declined it. It may have been because he said, well, actually I'm comfortable in my own clothes. They're good, they're tidy, they're fine. Uh, thank you, but no thank you. But the king says, no, no. You either go in what I provided or you don't go at all. That might sound harsh. I mean, that's a bit rough, isn't it? 
Are you telling me that God would say to someone who, who tries their best and does their best that, that they, he won't have them because they haven't got the right religious clothes on, as it were? Yes, I am telling you that. And it's all because of the price that God has paid or has paid in Christ, the price that Christ has paid to enable you to have this robe of righteousness. If you reject that, do you think God will say, oh, that's fine, yes, no problem? God will not have you into his heaven. No wedding garment, no banquet. Simple as that. Well, we're nearly finished. So the question must be, have you got the robe of righteousness on tonight? Are you clothed with the righteousness of Christ? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus as your saviour? Do you believe that when he died on the cross, he died for sinners like you, like me? If not, if not, even tonight you can call upon him. And you look here. And you came in with filthy rags. You can go out in this gleaming, spotless robe of righteousness, which is the which is from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That is gloriously possible. And you must consider this. You must consider this. And are you rejoicing in this? Are you rejoicing in this? Does the enemy sometimes trip you up and say, you're not fit to go into God's presence? You want to go to the prayer meeting and pray? How dare you? You're not fit to pray. You're not fit to do this. You're not fit to do that. And in a sense, you say, yes, I am. You're right. I'm not fit. You're absolutely right. And you are the things you're accusing me of. They're right. You're right. And there's more that you haven't said. But I have the righteousness of Christ that covers me totally and I'm acceptable in Christ and God will have me. He'll hear my prayers. He'll forgive my sin. I'll repent before him and call upon him and he will receive me. Hallelujah, receive me. Because that's the kind of God God is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God in the Savior. Oh, that we might know this and experience this and enjoy this day by day for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lovely imagery that is from your word, this robe of righteousness. We believe it speaks about the righteousness of Christ is conferred upon his people by the Father worked by the Spirit, that all God's people, all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, all who believe and trust in him, will have this robe of righteousness that will be eternal, that will last forever, will never wear out, and is glorious, so glorious. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So let's sing a hymn. About such things. Well, we often sing it here, five hundred and fifty-four.